0: Welcome back to Beyond Well, I'm Sheila Hamilton, and this is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. And every now and then I go back through our library and see which topics we've covered and which ones we can actually explore just a little bit more. And I was shocked to see that Dr. James Polo and I have never thoroughly discussed trauma. How did we let that one get past us? Dr. Polo, it's so big.
1: Oh, it is huge.
0: I was reading about how in the 1960s and 70s, trauma was mostly considered something that they offered for returning veterans. And that, of course, it has the designation has been expanded to include many other types of trauma, sexual trauma, witnessing violence. What was the realization in the psychiatric community that there were more people who were suffering trauma than just vets? So that's a great
1: question. It's, it's a little bit complex. It used to be in the past that there were certain events that we just assumed were severe enough or significant enough that they would cause trauma. Yeah. Going to war, being in a burning building, crashing in a plane, et cetera. Trauma is an emotional response to an event. Yeah. Now there's two reasons why we have to think about expanding what trauma is really all about. So first of all, emotion as a response is sometimes different in one person than another. It's about perception. One individual might perceive a situation that to them is very harmful. To them, it's overwhelming their capacity to cope, it's overwhelming their systems, it's it's making them feel emotionally difficult. Whereas in somebody else, maybe it doesn't cause that. So that's the first reason. The second reason why we've had to kind of expand our thinking on, on trauma is because there are clearly certain events that we will all say, yeah, that probably would cause trauma. But Mm -hmm. there are also these events that can be consistent over time that start to add up, that all by themselves can create trauma. We have to think broader about really... What is trauma to the individual in terms of what they've experienced
0: so give me an example of the second kind because i think we can all in our imaginations figure out the first kind it's some disastrous event right. it is right. in my case the suicide of my late husband in another case a car accident leaves someone maimed. but when you're talking about these events that occur with frequency over time and create trauma what do you mean
1: So, for example, a lot of these traumas can sometimes occur in childhood and literally create symptoms for somebody's life. Imagine a young, you know, child, eight or nine years old, goes off to school and gets teased and comes home and tells their mom that they were upset because they were teased. And let's say the mother says, that's not a big deal. You'll be fine. Next day, next week same thing. Then it's bullying. Then it's not being chosen for this, not being chosen for that. And before you know it, this kid is beginning to kind of conceptualize. Well, first of all, I'm having these rough feelings at school. I'm feeling rejected. I'm feeling not included. I'm feeling made fun of, whatever. I'm feeling less than. I'm going home and I'm not getting any empathy for that. On top of the fact that the person I trust and love the most is telling me it's not a big deal. Maybe Mm. it's me that's the problem. I don't even have the right thinking. I'm thinking it's a big deal. And this can be disturbing to a child over a long period of time that's now struggling with what they're feeling Hmm. in terms of what's actually happening, as well as the support that they're getting that's not helping them understand what's going on. Hmm. And over time, that can create significant trauma for a child. It,
0: that makes so much sense because the dismissal of your level of fear or anxiety or the panic that sets in when you're being bullied, having someone dismiss it is like its own sort of wound. I really it's, get it's, that. It's,
1: exactly. It's like being yeah. wounded twice almost. Yeah.
0: Wow, one
1: of the things about young children and we know this intuitively. They don't understand so many things. They're growing, they're developing, their their bodies are growing, their minds are growing, their emotions are growing. So, things that you perceive as a child are perceived through the lens of a very limited understanding of what's happening around them. Mm-hmm. And so when things are frightening or anxiety provoking or or just hurtful, that can be magnified for a child. And if not dealt with, It can leave a lingering challenge for that individual in the future.
0: So I hear all kinds of different things about trauma therapy and why it's so hard. Why don't we go through some of the most kind of traditional forms of trauma therapy? And then if we can, I'd love to move on to EMDR. But first of all, how would you work with someone who had trauma, who had never processed it?
1: So this is a very good question. It's it's a challenging question though because the full scale of of what trauma can be is is huge. In a basic way, I think the first thing that I would say is it does matter what age the individual is that you're treating. So treating a, a teenager, for example, is very different than treating an adult. Very different than treating a young child. As a child and adolescent psychiatrist, I've seen folks that have elements of trauma that are impacting their emotional well-being at all different ages. So the first thing you have to understand is that when you're seeing somebody that's had trauma is you have to kind of think about where are they developmentally? What are the things that I can expect them to reasonably understand? What are the emotions they should now have begun to kind of experience and then assessing where they are compared to what we would say is in range for that age category. In general, when individuals suffer a traumatic event, you have to understand what is it that that event has done to impact the individual. In other words, how do we understand the correlation between the event and the emotional impact? Mm. And the key is helping the individual to understand it for themselves. We we sometimes use the word reframing. How can we reframe this so that you will understand it differently? Mm. In general with adults, if you can understand why you felt in a certain way or why you react in a certain way or why you have certain feelings about something, if you can understand it, then you're able to decide how you can deal with it. You know, trauma is one of those things, you, you can't forget it. And in fact, that's not the right approach. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll sometimes hear folks say generically, oh, just put that out of your mind. Just don't worry about that. Just mm-hmm. don't think about that. Yeah. That's not really very helpful. You know, I often tell folks it's not about forgetting what happened. It's about understanding what happened mm-hmm. so that you can move on. And sometimes you understand it and you don't have to accept it as being okay. Yeah, You simply have to accept that's what happened.
0: And also, I guess you have to accept that your body has this learned response to it, because I think most of the people who really seek help for trauma begin having such debilitating, triggering events and panic attacks and sleeplessness, um, night terrors and things that they actually can't have a very healthy life without seeking treatment.
1: Well, sometimes people have triggering events and they don't even know what the what triggers the are, trigger why, why they're even having that. You know, really? they just know they feel anxious and they don't. Well, I, I, I give you an wow. example. Um, let, let, Let's say that somebody was involved in some kind of traumatic event that happened to be associated with certain sounds. Okay. And they may not even connect those sounds or a certain yeah. voice. Yeah. And then later on, it's a different Time they hear a sound or they hear a voice that recreates the emotion that they felt and they haven't even put the connection together. Hmm. Smells can do this, sounds can do this. The mind captures an incredible amount of information all the time that you're not consciously aware of. I'll give you a simple example. You know, my grandmother always wore this perfume when I was a little boy that reminds me of her. And I don't remember the name of it. I just know that every so often I smell it and I instantly think of her. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. It's so true. instantly
1: think of her. That ability to have an instant trigger is oftentimes correlated with things that are traumatic.
0: Say for instance, you have someone who is triggered by the sound, but they haven't really put it together. How do you get them into that relaxed, probably almost hypnotic state to be able to go back in their consciousness to figure out what the triggering event was?
1: Well, during therapy, you sometimes find that out indirectly. Let's say I have an individual that is coming in struggling with, let's say classic PTSD type symptoms. And let's say that they're associated with having been in combat. Um, And I'll give you an example of a sound in combat that you typically hear in combat that you don't usually hear anywhere else, which is the whirring of helicopters. Right. So an individual might be months, years beyond their experience, but every time they hear a plane or or a helicopter, they start finding that they're getting anxious, they're uptight, Mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily readily make that connection. How is it that I would find out about in therapy is talking about some of the traumatic events and saying, well, what was happening at the time that this- occurred and what was happening when you felt this and what was happening and you begin to build a story that helps you understand well what were the elements that created the trauma and yeah. if i know somebody is struggling with trauma i'm actually looking for triggers what were yeah. the things that would trigger them to feel like they're back there again so at the risk of a little disclosure i'll i'll share I'll sh- share my trigger you know i spent a whole year in, in combat mm-hmm. and uh, the year that i was i was in iraq our military base was constantly being shelled, constantly being shelled. And we were safe and and they kept telling us, don't worry, they don't aim very well, et cetera, so on and so forth. And we just kind of got used to that noise. So it's been almost 15 years, but I kid you not, whenever I'm in a meeting, whenever I'm you know, at dinner, whenever I'm out and about somewhere, if I hear a sudden loud noise, I actually have a startle. Mm -hmm. And I, for the life of me, I can't not have the startle. And the startle is related to this loud noise that was unexpected. And actually, I've come to really recognize it's from my experience back in Iraq. Wow. And it's prominent enough that every once in a while, I'll be in a meeting. There'll be a loud noise. Somebody drops a book or somebody slams a door and I'll startle and people will laugh. And I just laugh along with them. Wow.
0: No kidding. (laughs) Oops. It scared me. It it occurs to me that especially for victims of sexual violence, that going back into these really traumatic memories must be some of the hardest work that you have to do. Very hard. So what is the line that you're riding between asking them to smell the room, to see the lights, to to do all that without taking them back and re-traumatizing them. This is
1: one of the challenging things about psychotherapy because you don't want to make the mistake of re-traumatizing somebody. It's kind of like uh, individuals that have been raped, for example. Sometimes asking them questions is almost like re-raping them all over again. And so you have to really have a delicate balance between how much of the details do you need to really have to understand the trauma mm. so that you can then really focus on the emotional feelings and the interpretation piece? And sometimes I think people get a little bit too stuck on the details. Well, what happened next? And then what happened next? And then what happened? Yeah. Don't wow. don't need all that. That's the part that, that can sometimes push folks into feeling like, well, you're making me relive the whole thing all over again. Right. and I don't really want to do that.
0: You know, Dr. Polo, I have been thinking about this issue a lot because for instance, with people who have had sexual violence, it's not always that they're triggered by the loud sound or anxiety ridden. Sometimes they just drink too much to numb the pain or eat too much to numb the pain, or they disassociate from that event and go into a very kind of numbed point of view of the world of relationships of what to expect from themselves. So, what are the other common trauma responses that yeah. people have? Because it's not always startle responses, right? It's no,
1: no. And those are actually more the simple ones, so to speak. You know, the symptoms of trauma are, are, first of all, very broad. Okay. There's no one set that you say, oh, that's the set of symptoms that equal trauma versus somebody else. Well, no, they didn't quite make it. Okay. Right. Oftentimes when people have been traumatized, they end up with significant symptoms of anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. It impacts their relationships. It impacts their sense of esteem. It impacts their ability to cope. Um, They will sometimes then adopt behaviors that are compensatory for what they're feeling. Now, the reason why people that experience trauma will sometimes turn to either drugs or alcohol is because they either want to Tone out what they're feeling. They want to get away from it. Sometimes it's the reverse. They're not feeling something, then they're trying to feel something that they think drugs and alcohol will give them. And what's yeah. what's ironic about all this is sometimes they're they don't even make the connection. I'm miserable. I'm unhappy. Yeah, I had these bad things in the past, but they don't even know that that's related to why they're behaving or what they're struggling with today. And wow. part of the therapeutic process is to bring that together so that they can see it.
0: Well, wow. I see a lot of things where people say, that's my learned trauma response. And it, it's everything from, you know, going for a, a glass of wine, the, the minute you began to feel something to not asking for help, becoming a perfectionist, um, mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. things in a certain order all the time so that you have some control is it that vast, the range of behaviors that people it, adopt to, dri- to it, deal with trauma? It,
1: it is pretty vast in terms wow. of what the symptoms can be. And many of them uh, sometimes are, are very subtle that we don't even really think about. You know, the individual that, you know, avoids certain situations and doesn't even really recognize why they're avoiding situations, but yet it relates to having been traumatized in the past.
0: Wow. And- All right. I, let's talk a little bit. I read uh, vessel. Vessel. Vander Is that how you say his name? Bessel Mm -hmm. Vander Mm -hmm. Lovely book, A Body Keeps the Score. And then I heard um, about another psychiatrist who'd done some of this research very early around the reason that much of trauma has to be processed through the body, through movement, through Rocking through dancing. Do you agree with that? Do you think that it's possible to have a better outcome if you use the body as a a processor?
1: I, I do think that the body is connected in ways that we don't always appreciate and you know i'll go back to something i said earlier remember that young kids when they experience trauma they're developing physically they're developing emotionally they don't understand their own emotions they don't understand reality around themselves sometimes but they still process information and when they're being traumatized they use what they have to be able to process that we do know that trauma impacts more than just your feelings it impacts brain it impacts your body. It impacts you in in many different ways. So a lot of the therapies that have been developed to actually address that do, in fact, touch on the aspect that maybe it's more than just talking to somebody. Maybe there are some other things that we can do that would be that would be helpful. The the one that that's probably the easiest to really conceptualize is EMDR. Mm-hmm. Um, and EMDR is a treatment that was developed where. In a basic form, what you do is you're investigating the individual in terms of what happened when they were traumatized. And Mm -hmm. then you're going through some of those emotional things once you've identified what they are while you're getting them to watch either your finger or an object that's going back and forth right to left. Okay. Mm. So the eyes are actually moving and Mm. and you wonder, well, what's the connection here? We tend to process complex emotional feelings, sometimes in sleep and sleep during REM, uh, that's the rapid eye movement cycle, is when your eyes are moving very quickly. REM is when you, when we dream, very short cycles uh, during the evening. And in fact, people that have had severe trauma often have nightmares. So there seems to be a connection that's physical, that if you can process and reframe some of these thoughts while you're getting the eye moving, that mm. there seems to be a correlation that has demonstrated efficacy in helping people process trauma
0: and get better. Doesn't it sound mysterious? Like it really is like we're replicating dreaming to help people make stories that are somehow soothing for them. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. It's the wonder of the mind. I mean, the mind is the most powerful computer uh, and it works in a very complex way that we don't, actually truly understand. Um, I
0: I wish there were more people offering EMDR. I have problems all the time with people trying to find someone who they can get in to see to do it, who does it Mm -hmm. well. And
1: I think it's important to clarify for, for listeners that, you know, it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. And and the reason why I say that is because we have many different therapies. And the reality is that some people do very well in certain types of therapy and some Mm -hmm. people do well in other types of therapy. And that just speaks to the complexity of trying to figure out how it is the mind really works. Traditionally, psychotherapy is the way that we define how you talk to somebody to help them through things. But there's many different types of, quote, psychotherapy.
0: Yeah, it's interesting too, because I even saw that some trauma therapists are trying walking therapy because the the difference between your leg and your arm moving at the same time replicates that the brain is keeping track of two things while you're telling the story.
1: which I'd sign up for that.
0: (laughs) I'd be like, let's do that one rather than tap. Well, I feel like it was getting two
1: (laughs) things done at the same time, exercise and therapy.
0: (laughs) There you go, there you go. So Dr. Polo, have you been able to see people who do heal from very, very profound traumas and do they fall into the category of post-traumatic growth when you see that? Uh,
1: I have, and I think it's important to clarify what heal means. Can you get somebody to go back to where they were before the trauma?
0: Not oh, really. Wow.
1: Not really. Wow. And, and and it goes back to what I said earlier. It's not about forgetting the trauma; it's about putting it into the right place. So, uh, a, a typical uh, example of of a, of a case where I've I've uh, been able to help folks are actually women that have been raped, where it affected their sense of esteem. Uh, It affected their sense of feeling attractive. It affected their sense of trust. It affected their ability to have intimacy where the process of therapy is about, first of all, understanding what happened, not by their fault, what happened, what it means to them and what it's caused. And now how do you move forward so that you can develop And regain the things that you think you lost, a sense of esteem, the ability to trust, the ability to have relationships, the ability to to engage in intimacy. But that doesn't mean you forget what happened. It means that you're able to put it in a safe place that you can now move forward. And hopefully forward in a way where you're going to be stronger Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and hopefully not be exposed to that kind of situation again.
0: Yeah. Do you believe in the post-traumatic bounce that there are people who end up becoming deeper, more spiritual, more, more aware, more? I I guess the way
1: that I would put it is there are some people that experience tremendous adversity and come through it stronger than they were before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, doesn't necessarily mean they're happy they did it. It doesn't necessarily mean they're excited that it happened to them, but they're actually still stronger For it.
0: Yeah, it's a fantastic. I'm so glad we circled back around on this topic. I think about trauma so often, right? I just think about it in the course of my friends' lives, in my own life, how it shapes my family of origin and their generational traumas that were probably never processed. But I sure love the topic, Dr. Polo. Thanks for all of your time today. It's wonderful Um, to see you again.